Trigger warning, Death and Friends is not a podcast for the light of heart. Many dark and serious subjects will come up. Listener discretion is advised. A fog rolls over in a late Victorian England side street. It's eerily quiet for a city evening. Then, in the distance, footsteps. Okay, so Dom is just running with it, huh? All right, cool, 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 cool. Your heart quickens as the footsteps draw closer to you. Ah, uh, okay, bud. The, the fuck? You've heard the rumors about a strange man, perhaps even a demon, that walks these very streets at night, searching for victims. All right, dude, I think, I think that's enough. Is he getting the- closer to you, or are you imagining it? Your heartbeat is thudding in your ears, threatening to beat out of your chest. It's going to give you away. Should you run? The footsteps are drawing closer with every drum of your pulse. Hey man, we're not, we're not kidding. Hey guys, who wants pizza? What? Welcome back, Skeleton Army. I'm Angel, and this weird bit of fluff wearing a hat and glasses we found under your bed. Isn't it? Boo! Gotcha. 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 All right, bud. Just to reiterate the trigger warning in case you missed it at the very opening of this episode, or you're somehow completely unfamiliar with Jack the Ripper lore in general, this one is going to have some violence, and not the Angel ate cheese violence. It's rude, but fair. And yes, if you're not comfy hearing that kind of thing, or today's just been a muy malo day, maybe skip this one for now. Or don't. I'm not your dad. You're not? Oh god, what if... No. No. It can't be. Jessica? Just make the picture, Nash. I gotta make a quick phone call. It's 1888, and we're in cheery old London. We've been here before, talking about Victorian funerals, and how rich Londoners are really, really good at making poor Londoners feel really bad in every aspect of their lives. And deaths. This is about to be our most No Modern Parallels episode ever, by the way. In 1887, the year before, London celebrates Queen Victoria's Jubilee, which marks 50 years of her reign. To put it in colloquial terms... It's a very big party, and the entire world shows up. But here's the thing about world parties celebrating queens. First of all, all the potato salad has raisins. Second, the government likes to show off, and having poor people is the opposite of that. So instead of funding social programs or offering housing or... Hang on, let me double check my notes here. Uh-huh. Oh, you see that right here? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Literally anything else, London pulled the 2014 Sochi Winter Olympics. And now the poor people... Can you piss off, please? You're harshing our vibe. That's right. Go over there. Off to the left. To the left. Everything you own on a box to the left. Thanks, Jim. So instead of the Jubilee being a job creator or whatever other buzzword nonsense billionaires are always shoving down our throats, it makes the poverty problem worse. Oh, oh my God. I'm so surprised. How could they do that? It's the people. No. It's widespread across London, especially as more dignified West End commerce picks up and forces people who can't afford to keep up with the Windsors to move into smaller and smaller areas. 
So we're going to focus on one of those areas and chat a little bit about a district of London called Whitechapel, where poverty and crime, best friends forever. I mean, F is for friends who do stuff together. And you, yeah. it's for you and me. Aw. And? Yeah. and N is for no social resources available to the citizens of Whitechapel. Whitechapel is so bad in 1888. How bad is it? It's so bad, the chance of a kid living past the age of five is 50%. Oof. Half, yeah. It's a coin toss, basically. It's 50% of the time, it works every time. Whitechapel is in London's East End, and in 1888, it houses 78,000 people in a little over three square miles. Many of those people are immigrants, Jewish people fleeing persecution in Europe, and Irish fleeing famine at home. The famine is caused by... No way. The English? Yeah. The English that caused the famine? Yeah. The famine specifically created by the English. Yes. That famine. The English are absolutely nailing it right now in history. <clears throat> are we killing you at home? Why don't you come right to the source and we can make you suffer closer? That's a terrible English accent. Well, they're terrible people. So who gives a shit? I mean, specifically at this time. Maybe today. We don't know. We haven't been over there recently. There's nothing quite like homegrown, bespoke suffering. You know, suffering on Etsy. Support local business, baby. Whitechapel in the 19th century is basically made up of three groups. Poor laborers. Woo. Unwed women with children who survived doing things like laundry and sewing. Yeah. And the homeless. Aye. Across London, it has the reputation of being where, and get this, this is a direct quote, hope goes to die. Mm. So, love that for them. And because this is London, pretty much everything outside of Whitechapel is like, you deserve this for being poor. It's gross and it offends us. Now, because Victorian London is a cesspool of classism and women have no rights. No modern parallels. And because alcohol is cheap, it offers the best form of escapism available to those on the fringe of society. So alcoholism and abuse are rampant in Whitechapel. The alcoholism adds to the crime rates and the violence and the tendency of wealthier folks to avoid the area altogether. Landlords... Oh, good. Landlords are here, too. Fucking great. Yeah. Landlords are generally pretty scummy across London, but in Whitechapel, it's an even shittier breed. Like Pokemon, if they could devolve. That's, that's, that would make them Digimon, Nash, actually. That's digital monsters. Why? How you wrote this script? How do you not know that? Come on. It's Digimon. You know how I don't D know that. Digimon... <laughs> Digital monsters, Digimon, are the I was having sex. Change into did. Due to legal reasons, and also cringe reasons, Angel singing this song has been omitted from the episode. For the first time ever, Jen, and I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Okay. Anyway, lots of landlords take advantage of their tenants, and even more of them operate DOS houses, basically a hostel where you pay for a bed for the night, or sometimes not even a bed, but just... And this is true, a rope to hang on to in the middle of the night in a crowded room. Wait, what the fun facts with Nash? Some people have conjectured, and I'll say that sort of loosely because largely where it's been promoted is Facebook, that this rope as a bed thing is where the term hangover comes from. I'm happy to tell you that you can continue ignoring that meme and its respective minions because it's false. Hangover just means leftover or after effect, and the word predates its associations with alcohol. So, there you go. Now go forth and be less fun at parties, everyone. And you know what? Tell them Nash sent you. I also tell them I said, hey, 
and that they have a nice butt. Thanks, Nash. Back to the matter at hand. Lots of Whitechapel residents at the time, especially women, are hustling during the day to get enough money to get a bed in the doll's house and maybe have a drink to help them forget they did shitty labor all day just to get a shitty place to sleep. <laughs> Capitalism, am I right? <laughs> you sure are, Nash. Now to Gary with the weather. How's it looking out there, Gary? It's foggy and it's dark! Thanks, Thanks, Gary. You're the best, Gary. In unrelated news, Death and Friends is hiring for a new weather person. You like weather? And danger? Are you good at telling when things are caught in cold and avoiding lurking murders in the dark Victorian streets? This position could be perfect for you. Terms and conditions may apply. See website for details. Meet. The food and housing insecurity in Whitechapel are bad enough, but also, this is a time without sewage or public health. So sicknesses like cholera, typhus, and general... Deadly fevers are also frequent bedfellows. No modern parallels. Which means our good buddy Death is here too. The average life expectancy for casual laborers in this period is 19 years old. Lots of very, very shitty things happening in this very small square of London. In case you needed a summary, and while we're here in modernity finding it terrifying, guess who eats that shit up like fucking cheesecake? Fucking rich bastards. That's right, you guess it, every rich person in the rest of London. The newspapers like to write up little stories about how fallen women and feral kids in the slums, and the worse they are, oh, the more the rich people just eat that shit up. They're like, mm, mm, oh, is this corn from the Americas? And they love to blame everyone in those slums for their own misfortune. Interesting. In addition to Whitechapel being shitty for the poor, quite literally, and London being shitty to the poor, also still quite literally, let's talk about women's rights for a quick second. Well, fun fact, we will only literally need one second to summarize rights in this time period. You ready? Here we go. They don't have any. Well, there you go, everybody. Thanks for coming. Oh, my God. Oh, what a great night. Thank you yeah. to the cast, the crew. Season three, we did it. Unwed women are basically the scourge of society, especially if they're impoverished. But unwed women with children? My God. It's like women are just running around for centuries getting themselves pregnant completely alone for the sole purpose of making life harder for themselves. Look, everyone knows that women are like asexual flowers or the dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. And no one knows this more than the U.S. Supreme Court. Thank God for science. <laughs> now wait just one second there, Nash. <laughs> Isn't this an episode about serial killing? It sure is, Angel. But just quickly, know that women can't vote, own property, and lots of times can't inherit things. And also, there's no birth control. So all it takes for women to go from having a nice upper middle class life to trying to eke out an existence in Whitechapel is the death of a man. Hell yeah. <laughs> Which... Given the, the mortality rate in Victorian London is pretty fucking high and life expectancy is pretty fucking short, means it happens all the time. Or having one kid too many that survives infancy because these are one income households. Since largely women stay at home with the kids, one kid too many is less food and money for everyone else. And this isn't even a time for, well, at least women didn't have to work in factories if they were at home child rearing. Who are you? Because as soon as the first girl child is old enough, either she goes to work in a factory or into domestic service, if the family is lucky. Or mom does that, and the eldest girl raises the rest of her siblings alone. By the way, old enough, in this case, is seven. Seven? Seven. And in the case of wages, that money doesn't belong to them, it goes to their families. In the case of women, it goes to their husbands. And just for fun, 
if they go into factory work, it's a 14-hour day and you get your pay docked for breaks and also to use the toilet. Seven. Seven. Gross. Let's leave the depressing, god-awful treatment of women and the poor side for just a little bit. Just, you know, just put mm. it over there. And get into this episode, which is about a still-at-large serial killer. Yeah, definitely a more positive episode then. Yes, yes. So let's be less mentally ill and chat about some unsolved multiple murders. I love that you said still at large, like good old Jack is running around Whitechapel at roughly 150 years old murdering women between his Uber Eats shifts. Yeah, yeah. That's the Dexter storyline we deserved, quite frankly. I don't know. Humanity is trash and that entire plot was too. Maybe we deserved it. Fine, fine. We deserved Dexter, but we did not deserve Lost. And that's the episode. We, we haven't actually, yeah. we haven't done anything yet, I, but I actually, so as I was saying, serial killers have existed throughout history. In fact, we talked about one of them already, but they weren't super well defined, partially because some history was recorded, partially because not doing murder has sort of been under pirate code until modernity, but more like guidelines than actual rules. Webster's Dictionary defines serial- Are you, are you being serious right now? Look at me. I'm being- dead serious right now um webster's dictionary defines serial killer as someone who murders more than three victims one at a time in a relatively short interval we've talked a little bit about historical serial killers before now in our episode on vampires but today we're going nuts deep and having to learn about the mysterious man who is considered the first modern serial killer one of the reasons jack the ripper is so prolific is because his identity was never discovered and it never will be, because a large amount of evidence, that's in quotes because, yes, gets destroyed in the bombing of London in World War II. And also because, as we will discover in just a few moments, the police at Scotland Yard do a pretty neat job fucking this case to death. Just all the holes. Oh no, again? I'm so completely shocked by this. What will we do? No, no, we have to keep going. I know, it's... it's... Definitely not how I saw this going in my mind. Just so you guys at home know, the police do such a bad job at investigating this crime that American newspapers write a bunch of articles criticizing them. Their shit-ass approach to solving crime in 1888 has the U.S. being like, Hey! You're fucking it all up! And they had basically just finished enslaving human beings, so you know, rocks and glass houses. We'll get to all that in a little bit, but prepare yourself. This episode is about to get very dark. Additionally, at this point, here's a heads up. We are about to describe some of this violence in detail. It's worth noting at this point that exactly where Jack's story starts and ends is a little up for debate. We're going to focus on the five canonical victims attributed to the mysterious figure called Jack the Ripper, even though for the period 1888 to 1891, there are 11 violent murders of women in Whitechapel that go unsolved. Since this is a two-parter, in the next episode, we're going to look at why that all might be bullshit, or maybe it's not, or maybe go fuck yourself, that's why. So finally, now that you know what a shit show London is, and specifically Whitechapel, and how fucked it is to be poor, and uh, let me double check here, also a woman, mm. let us meet Polly Ann Nichols. Polly was born Marianne Walker on the 24th of August, 1845, to a blacksmith and a laundress in Soho, London. Being the daughter of a skilled laborer, Polly would have had a slightly less fearsome childhood than some of her peers, but still, one sickness could put a family behind in rent, and then off to the workhouses they go. 
And so in 1852, Polly's mother contracts tuberculosis. She dies in November, taking her little brother to the grave with her. Jesus Christ, Nash. What? Polly takes over the care of the household at the ripe old age of like six Mm. with the help of an aunt or another female relative. She stays as the female homemaker for her father and older brother until she marries in 1864 at 18 years old. Dane, back away from the girl. Back away. They have five kids. The oldest dies a bit before two. The family, who had previously been living it up with Polly's dad, her brother and her husband, three incomes, no privacy zero cups, moved to a new block of homes developed to be very chic and up and coming and also sort of rent controlled. I said no cups, Angel. Okay. Fairly quickly after moving in, Polly suspects that her husband has been making the eyes at one of the other residents on the block. You know, the eyes. She starts drinking, or maybe she increases drinking. Don't blame her. It's London. And pretty soon the marriage just isn't working out. The vibes, they're off. So on May 20th, 1880, Polly is just like, bye, Felicia. Felicia was the name of her daughter, probably. I don't know. No. <laughs> Maybe that's what she called her. Who's to say? She would have known. <laughs> Polly would have known that it meant the end of her status as a middle class woman, because for any failure of marriage, it's always the woman's fault. And so women suffer the most. Science. It's the science. I mean, okay, not to be this guy, but she did do the original leaving the house for a pack of cigarettes. So. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, okay, fair. All right, fair. But she was also right. The neighbor that she was convinced is making eyes at her husband moves into the apartment. I fucking knew it, that bitch. With the husband, with William, and everybody starts calling her Mrs. Nichols. So, like... Here's a fun fact about divorce in the Victorian era. Don't take my thing! Fun facts with Angel. It exists, and it is used primarily in the middle classes. A man can divorce his wife for adultery. No questions asked, just none. Just, hey, bud, sorry you had to go through that, man. Hey, chin up, king. (laughs) But a woman seeking a divorce for adultery also had to prove that there was something else. Like incest, or rape, or... Beating her too much. Too much, by the way. Not just beating her. Beating her too much. It's like the Disney Plus of subscriptions. There's regular Disney Plus, and then there's Disney Plus Plus, which you have to pay more about. I found that out today. I'm absolutely fucking furious. Wait, there's Disney Plus Plus? Yeah, yeah. It's like additional shit you still have to pay for, even though you oh, pay- oh, oh, you mean like when the movie premieres, but you have to pay extra for the premiere movie? <sighs> Then go to the movie. At some point, Polly discovers a little loophole in the poor laws that allows for a sort of stipend from her ex. You see, if women are property, you can't just abandon them. So she goes to the workhouse to report a divorce. I tell that to every alpha male podcast. Sorry. <laughs> looking at you, every white guy ever. I was going to say, looking at you, Andrew Tate, you piece of shit. And since good old buddy William is already bunking up with the neighbor, he agrees to pay her stipend. Oh, what a nice guy. Oh, so sweet. Mm. For a little while, at least. Eventually, she moves in with a man. Oh. And promptly, Willie is like, oh, girl, adios. Auf Wiedersehen. Bye. I ran out of languages. <laughs> that same little loophole also lets Will off the hook if she is some other guy's property now or if she's committing adultery. It's like, hey, you got her on layaway. Here you go. I'm scot-free, baby. Now to spend it on... Not my kids. Yes. Kids turning 18. We're out. 
Without any income source or support, Polly goes to the workhouse. She's there on and off over the next few years. When she's in, she can't drink at all, so she tries to make it on her own from time to time. She stays with her father for a little while, but eventually her alcoholism is difficult to hide, and after the sudden death of her older brother, Polly leaves the family home for good. Sudden death? He's leaning over a candle one night at dinner, and then he leans a little too far into the candle. And that's... Yeah, that's that. Baby boy burned all the way up. Candle wins the sudden death elimination. Fatality. <laughs> we're, we're not okay. No, no. Uh, the dark album has taken its toll. So Polly heads back to the workhouse in 1887, though not voluntarily this time. After she's arrested in Trafalgar Square for, quote, sleeping rough there. Which just means she was like air punching while sleeping. The workhouse matron gets her a job as a domestic, but Polly only stays a few months as her new employers are early prohibitionists. Who knew Wayne Wheeler could back across the Atlantic? He had the upper body strength of a dolphin. <laughs> right. He was Aquaman. If Aquaman wasn't a very handsome Polynesian man who drank way too much. I mean, if Aquaman <laughs> got stabbed as a small child, then it scarred him forever and he refused to go to therapy and then he took it out on everyone else. Right. Season three, episode two. Yeah. So the new employees are early prohibitionist. And in a letter to her father, Polly says, quote, there's not much to do. End quote. And so she leaves in 1888 for Whitechapel. It's just like, baby girl, enjoy that. Like, what are you doing? There's not much to do. That's the perfect scenario. Right, 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 right. Missed opportunities. Uh, Nash, your white woman doing two crime is showing. <laughs> That's true. I don't mean to criticize the dead, but I am called kind of also like, I like jobs where there's not much to do. That's my goal. That's why I do comedy, because honest to Christ, nothing to do here. Polly Nichols is last seen at around 2.30 a.m. on the 31st of August, 1888, by a friend called Emily Holland. Emily tells her to head to the Doss house, but Polly tells her that she's not got the money. Even though she earned it that day, she spent it on alcohol. I'll have one alcohol, please. She tells Emily she's not worried about getting it, though, and she gestures to her velvet bonnet, which may or may not have been taken from her previous employer's house. Emily thinks Polly seems drunk. Trigger warning. Polly's body is discovered a little before 4 a.m. She's laying on her back with her skirts lifted above her knees. A doctor arrives on the scene, noticing her throat has been severely cut. The doctor has her brought to the morgue, where he discovers multiple violent stabs in her abdomen and genitalia. Given the violence done to her throat, the doctor declares death was near instantaneous and that the stabs occurred post-mortem. She's identified by a former workhouse inmate, and then by Emily Holland, and finally by her ex-husband, who reportedly is quite distraught and tells her, quote, I forgive you as you are for what you have been to me, end quote. And hopefully somewhere she's like, hey buddy, go fuck yourself. <laughs> This is not the moment for serious bears. Uh, <laughs> and this is where things really start to pop off, police-wise. The detectives start combing the area, asking Whitechapel residents, most of them women, most of them what police refer to in the same way as they refer to Polly. As simply prostitutes or tramps, which leads me to... Fun facts with... There's no time. I already did it earlier. Fine, fine. Later? Maybe. May I got a, got a thing tonight. <sighs> the whole thing. What about this afternoon? I have lunch plans, but I can do around three, three work. Damn. Damn. I've got the dentist at three. Could you do four? I guess it, it would have to be quick. Okay. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. Great. Four to four fifteen. Work? You know, let's just, you know what? Let's just, let's just lock in four ten. 
Better make it till four ten. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Can you bring? Can you bring coffee though? You guys know we're recording, right? Right. Uh. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we knew that. Yeah, sorry. We, we knew sorry. That. Sorry. We knew that. Yeah. Just buy cold brew at the store. So the police start looking for a man that the residents call Leather Apron because mm. that's fun. <laughs> fun time. He's a mysterious figure in his own right. Well, no shit, he's working leather apron. And no one seems to know his name or what he's even doing besides running around, extorting people, and, get this, wearing an apron. It's called fashion. Look it up. <laughs> Just imagining, like, a butt-naked dude with, like, a leather apron. Yeah, like, in my mind, I totally picture, like, a butt-naked man with an apron on. He's just running around being like, I'm extorting you, and everyone's like, just let it happen. Just... And where they're like, we can't read. We don't know what that means. Just his ass butt, like facing the world, his ass butt. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. This podcast mm-hmm. is poisoning me. Just like ass naked butt. And he's just like, I'm extorting you. And they're all like, don't. Mm-hmm. If only there was these preserved hands I could just put this ass in. <laughs> this would all be fine and good, except for two things. One, the police are kind of idiots. And B, the only other fact people seem to know about Mr. Apron is that he's Jewish. Oh, Ooh, hey buddy, thanks for coming in. How have you been? Hey guys, if uh, you haven't guessed it, or if you're new here, um, this is somebody very familiar to the podcast. Everyone say a hello and a fuck you to racism. Racism. Yay. If you're not savvy on history, allow us to explain why our little friend has just shown up just now. Everyone, across history, as far back as history even goes, and probably before that, quite frankly, hates the Jews. So by September 5th, the newspapers, particularly the Star, begin the fear campaign anew, and anti-Semitism roars its ugly head. The rich people, who until this point have been like, Ew, gross, the poor people are being all poor and dead, while they're breaking their necks to get any scandalous information about the murder, are suddenly like, We knew an Englishman couldn't have done this. Just... We knew it. For their part, the police are like, uh-oh, oopsie, we thought oopsie, oh, oh, oh no, we don't want innocent Jewish people to start getting murdered. Psych, yes we do, psych, no we don't. Wink, wink, punish your logo. Partially for the morals of it, and partially because they had already had enough going on and they aren't that good at solving murders. Guys, please, just stop killing Jewish people, because <laughs> we can barely solve the regular people thing. What do you mean I can't say regular? (laughs) So they start to pull back on it, and the residents are, at this point, very reasonable. And they're like, well, pretty sure he's Jewish. And he looks Hebrew. Less reasonable. Those are actual quotes taken from the time. And the police, in all their due diligence, decide, you know what? Let's not write Jewish, okay? Let's just write maybe foreign. I don't know. Literally, they're just... IDK, yeah. IDK. They wrote that. They wrote IDK. <laughs> they did. They That's an actual thing they wrote. Invented They it, also actually. put parentheses gay, question mark, other parentheses derogatory. Like, it's just all... It's all bad. It's not a good look for the police, honestly. Or maybe it is. Right. It's probably not. It really depends on what parenthetical reference you're going for, just where it falls. Regardless... Put a pin in all that and meet Annie Chapman. She's born in 1841 as Eliza Ann Smith. Her father's in the guard, and her mother, Ruth, falls pregnant before marrying him, which is scandalous enough, but Ruth and George get the approval to marry, which is a little bit rare for the guard at the time. So little Annie grows up in the barracks, and because of that, she has access to schools and a relatively stable home life. Who's that knocking at the door? Oh, just a super high infant mortality rate. That's who? Jesus Christ, Nash. Hey, it's me, Death. 
1854, scarlet fever is all the rage in London. No, no, Nash. Scarlet fever is raging through London. Yeah. It's the, it's the same thing. We're saying the same thing. No. Later that spring, it's joined by its good friend, Typhus. And both of them skip on over to the Smith house for a quick cup of tea. And while they're there, they quickly kill four of the six kids, leaving only Annie and her sister Emily. Okay. So things not super great after that. I imagine you're correct. That all changes when George becomes a valet for Captain Thomas Naylor Leland. In 1863, George accompanies his boss man to Wales to attend a horse racing sport event thing, uh, Sprats. Unlike his prior military work, this gig would have come with lots of quiet time for just George and his thoughts. Just just him and the quiet and just, just him and the engines running in his head. Mm. And while away at England's old-timey version of the Kentucky Derby... George wakes up one morning, and he slits his own throat. Damn, George. Jesus, what a hardcore way to go out. Yeah, hardcore and a severe condemnation of horses. I don't know what those are. Anyway, George's suicide could have easily sent his wife, his two daughters, and his now two-year-old son to the workhouses. But Captain White Guy Three Names was a good one. He gifts Ruth some money, which she uses to buy a house and rent out some of the rooms. In the meantime, Annie has become a domestic servant in 1869. Nice. <laughs> nice. In 1869, Annie marries a lodger in their house, John James Chapman. Ah, Victorian Britain. The home of white guy three names. Play them off, Dom. White guy three names. They think they're cool. They're not. They die in vain as a big tool he rots. Unless they are actually good, then please send them love if you would. But chances are they fuck shit up for minorities or world serial killers like John Wayne Gacy. Our boy John is the coachman for a well-off dude, and for a while, everything is coming up Millhouse. In 1880, their third kid, so they've had three at this point, they have a son named John, and he is, quote, born crippled, end quote, which in the 19th century in England, based on just the verbiage alone, is a pretty big medical and social problem. Then in 1882, John and Annie's eldest daughter dies of meningitis at age 12. Annie has a few run-ins with police while intoxicated during this time, and eventually it starts interfering with John's employer's social status, of course. Annie leaves for Whitechapel in 1884 to save them all the embarrassment. But John continues to send her stipend money to live on, much in the same way that Polly got it. Long story sad, Annie discovers in 1886 that John has died of cirrhosis. Her payments stop abruptly, and at some point in 1888, she gets tuberculosis. That, plus her alcoholism, is now actively killing her by September. The night of September 7th mirrors Polly's story. Annie is out bit drunk, tries to get her DOS money, gets a little too tired at some point, and then is murdered before dawn. And when we say murdered, we mean her throat is cut open, left to right, and quite a bit of her insides become outsides. Some of her intestines are thrown up over her shoulders, and her uterus is also cut. Angel, if you will. <sighs> okay, let's get this over with. Black death, polio. Spontaneous combustion Dying comes and after death Comes decomposition It may seem sad and also gross But here you are and here's your host Not an actual doctor But It's medical Medical, medical Facts With Dr. Angel 
Okay, look, we've done some real shit medical facts back in our day. We've even talked a bit about dying from this kind of thing before. But in case the horror of this is starting to get to you, I'll try to make this one quick. Now, I'll also let you know beforehand that there's a lot of evidence that the victims were asleep when the killings happened. So, just know that. Maybe it'll help. Anyway, how you die from a throat cut really depends on where you get cut and how deep. Deep enough to sever the jugular veins on the side, then you're unconscious in seconds and you bleed out within a minute or so. No blood to the brain means brain death. If it's a little less deep than that, largely you're cut off from the oxygen and you die from asphyxiation. No oxygenated blood to the brain also means brain death. The rest of the wounds inflicted on the victims happening post-mortem. Okay, we did it. Everyone, deep breath, deep breath, deep breath. Alrighty. So, we know that's rough. We know this episode's been rough. Uh, we try to do some trigger warnings here, but we're only human. So, in order to help a little bit, here's a palate cleanser. <gasps> Butter? Picante? Bird? Bird noise. Spooky. Smelly. Satan? Incredible. Merry Christmas? Hey! Merry Christmas! Happy Halloween! Happy Thanksgiving. Gobble gobble. Gobble gobble. Gobble gobble. Hey! Happy New Year! Gobble gobble. We should have made her say penis at some point. Ah, oh, damn. We should have. Back to the show. Phew. Alrighty. So by September 10th, concerned that the police are fucking this all to hell, and now with a second murder, or maybe fourth, who's to say, a builder slash interior designer slash local businessman called George Losk organizes the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, which I will shorten to the WVC for the remainder of this podcast. That is just a terrible acronym. Yes. That is real bad. Mm -hmm. Also, an interior designer? Serial killing, but make it fashion, baby. Also on September 10th, the police arrest John Pizer, alias Leather Apron. Ah, Look at that. He's apparently just a regular non-serial creep. He's just a, just a piece of shit running around terrorizing people. But he's got an alibi for both Annie and Polly's murders. Pop him under men who should be in prison, just not for being the Whitechapel serial killer in the Jeopardy categories. Definitely. We're coming up on the end of September 1888, and we have dropped at least two bodies at this point. Before we get to the end of the month, though, we will see two more and a curious development. On September 27th, a letter arrives to the Central News Agency addressed to the boss. The author of the letter claims to be the murderer, and he makes specific reference to not being Leather Apron, and also he alludes to the next murder, in which he says he'll cut off an ear and mail it to the police. That letter is signed, quote, Jack the Ripper, End quote. And as a postscript, he adds, quote, don't mind me giving the trade name, end quote. They're like, we're going to call him Jeff the Mangler. No. Guys, that's not cool enough. Okay, how about Jack? Okay, 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 let's do it, let's do it. Okay, Jack the Gripper. No, that doesn't even make sense. That doesn't even... Jack the Terror. Better. Yeah, Better. Yeah. Terror as in like tearing things, not like scary. No, that's no, you made it bad again. But just like imagine... Being like, I want to serial kill women, but I'll only do it if I get a cool nickname. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, what a strange take. Well, I think you described most modern serial killers, actually. So in addition to being a real serial murderer and a very just god-awful speller, he's also, ready for this, mm -hmm. a douchebag. Yeah. I mean, I think being a serial murderer automatically puts you in douchebag territory. I mean, that I think that's that's fair. Yeah. It's fair. Yeah. It's fair. Mm -hmm. 
Do we have time for two more murders? Oh, I don't know. Are we still meeting at uh, 410? I guess, yeah. yeah. Okay, I mean, great. So, I mean, I mean, I think we could do one more murder, but, you know. Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a two or nothing kind of thing. Uh, you know? Oh, okay, fine. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, no, no. I think we're going to have to wait. So can I just start doing the murders here? Can I just stop going at it? <laughs> Maybe next week. Yeah. Nah, next week. Next yeah. week. Bye. Yeah, yeah. On that note, knife, knife down, dude, down, where we can see it. Just kick it to Angel, please. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. That's the episode. A special thanks to you, our favorite listener. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A rate and review would also be mandatory because if you don't do it, you can't listen to the next week's episode. Yep. Yep. We won't rate do anything. Yeah. We won't do anything about it, but you should. I mean, I'm just gonna say, rate or review, or be cursed. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Gorilla Jokes. That's G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A Jokes. And I'm at It's Nash Flynn, spelled exactly how you would expect. And of course, follow the podcast at Death and Friends Podcast. Want to become an official member of the Skeleton Army? Join us on Patreon. We use it to cover our sound guys' medical bills. In order to properly write medical facts, we expose Dom to all the illnesses and ways to die we talk about on the show. We've put Dom through a lot of shit this year, so we've decided to serially murder our producer, Jake, instead. Does, um, mm, we have murdered him a lot. Does that, um, mm, does that make us serial? Does... Oh, I thought you were just writing serially murder as a, as a bit. I mean, we've only been kidding Dom, so, yeah, like, but, are we serial killers? But, or? like, in the definition, it's like, you know, if you murder people a bunch of times. You yeah, know, but that implies every time we bring him back, he's a new person, and he's not. He's the same Dom. Do you, do you really think the, the dictionary definition for serial killer takes into effect our weird metaphysical capabilities to keep bringing Dom back from the dead? I mean, here's the thing, because we're not bad people. Well... Jake here. Since the hosts are currently figuring that stuff out, our lawyer Jen and I will finish this episode. Let's thank our patrons on the Brendan Fraser level. Uh, you are wonderful, and we could not do any of this without you. As the Death and Friends legal representative, I'm here to inform you that you may join the Patreon at patreon.com slash deathandfriends. For more information, visit deathandfriends.org. We are currently in litigation on the use of .org, and at the moment will not comment on the matter. As stated throughout the episode, this has been a darker season. This episode especially. So, in the words of Angel, death is tricky to talk about, so please remember, you are loved, you matter, and if you don't want to be your own friend, we will be your friend. I, on the other hand, am not obligated to your be your friend, and I keep a strictly professional relationship with both the podcast and the fans of said entity. Really heartfelt there. Do you remember Jeff? Oh, no. Oh, Jeff. He was in episode one, I think. Oh, no. If we kill Jake, we're serial killers. Oh, man. Fuck. Until next time, Skeleton Army. Stay spooky. Love you. I'm not saying that. This has been a Knavery Inc. podcast. Go to knaveryinc.com for more details. Executive produced by Jacob Duffy Halbleib. Audio design by Dominic Guanzon. Themes and transitions by Amy Doe. The fuck is a knave? Remember this is a comedy podcast? Don't use it in your research papers. It's also worth noting that... It's also worth noting... Death? No, it can't be. Everything we've worked for. They can't just lie to us like that. What will we do? No, this can't be it. We have to fight back. 45 we have to start a revolution. <laughs> it's From widespread. the start. 
We'll get in the Gundams, and we'll fight the space pirates. Dom, just mute his microphone. Just okay. Thanks. Sorry, she said to keep going. No, I said I wonder what would happen if I didn't pick up. I would just, I would eventually turn into like a Gundam yeah. Japanese robot show. I think we both die of like starvation and dehydration. Yeah. These hands of mine are burning red. It's awesome power tells me to defeat you. <laughs> Sorry, it's too late at night for these kinds of shenanigans. <laughs> Death. Whitechapel is in East London. It's not in East London. That's well, I it's guess it's up in there, is. baby. Oh, it's on East London. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Whitechapel. I is mean, in- sexually. <laughs> Death. Thanks, Thanks Gary. <laughs> You're the best, Gary. <laughs> and unrelated news, Death and Fres is hiring. Is <laughs> a new line. Oh, that's funny. Oh, that's good. Well done. Death? Seven. Seven. Hands off, Dane Cook. Yep. <laughs> Got him. Put that in the bloopers. Death? Because a large amount of evidence. Wow. That's in quotes because... Did you just hurt yourself? Yes. I punched my microphone. <laughs> Woo! We oh, acted yeah, right through it. I'm basically Vigo Mortensen. Death? So this is, it's almost like I don't speak English. Just the only language. <laughs> Just almost like that. Death? If Dom could play some kind of like very popular funeral mu- music that also maybe sounds like a club scene. <laughs> I'm just saying, like Dom has worked miracles what? before. What would, even, what would that even be? Like Amazing Grace, but like you can twerk to it. Isn't that the dream, Nash? Is it? You want people twerking at your party, at your funeral? Yo, yes. <laughs> I want answers bouncing at my funeral. Unapologetically, yeah. very accurately, yes. I do right. want ass and titties at my funeral in copious amounts. Ass and titties. Ass and ass and titties. There's many hot women backing up onto my dead coffin cell. <laughs> it's you stuffed and you're just like... Just got <laughs> my hands so you <laughs> just ready to cut some butts or tits whatever you want to put there it's, it's whatever it's whatever a universal you want hand gesture this mm, this really Jesus went off the rails oh, a woman is dead nash <laughs> yes no i know it's me oh man put it in my hands Sorry. no stop <laughs> death what who's that knocking at the door oh just a super high infant mortality rate that's who and i just realized i read nash's line jesus christ nash